Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. I'm a customer at Artisan Botanicals, and I can tell you I have absolutely benefited from my relationship with Artisan Botanicals and their products. Right now, we're saving you 15% off your online order. Visit abotanicalcompany.com. When you check out online, use the discount code ColbyShow, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W. Discount code ColbyShow for 15% off your online order. Plus, they have easy and safe pickup with a drive through So you, you drive in, you get it through the window. Again, it's efficient, it's safe, it's easy. Order online, save 15%, abotanicalcompany.com at Artisan Botanicals. All right, we have a big show today. Uh, massive, massive UFC card on Saturday night. UFC 259. This is one of the biggest cards in UFC history. Three championship fights involving four current UFC champions. There's a former UFC champion uh, in, in the prelim, uh, the feature prelim. So this card is absolutely loaded from start to finish. If, if you are a semi-fan or, or not a fan at all, this would be the card to pay attention to because there's there's so much on the line. Again, three belts and, and just superstars and big-time fighters all the way up and down this card. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We will break it down. We will, we will uh, talk about last week's card, uh, give our picks for UFC 259, and uh, that's the plan for today. So everybody enjoy. Here's my guest, Will Brewer. Will Brewer, what is happening? Man, it's fight week. I'm so excited. I feel like this week has flew by. <laughs> uh, part of the reason is because of UFC 259, but another part is I found a new Netflix show. And oh. it's, actually a show, it's actually a show that you put me on to. Okay. I started watching Kingdom, man. Yes, yes. Man, man it's, I was intrigued from the opening scene, man. Like, yeah. This show is phenomenal. I'm on season two already. Like I've basically been binge watching it. I'm I am locked in. I'm very intrigued. I'm probably I think I'm on episode three or four of season oh, two. Oh wow, yeah. It's, it's absolutely amazing. I, I love it. It's really good. It's really dark, and it's it only gets darker like as you go. Oh, um I, I didn't I I feel like I re I vaguely remember hearing something about it when it was running, but it was on. I, if I remember right, it was on some obscure network that I didn't have, and so it was just something that like it wasn't available. So I just never really paid attention to it, and then I saw it on Netflix at some point last fall, and during football season, between like keeping up with football and UFC, there just wasn't enough time to watch any shows for that matter, but like right as football wrapped up, uh, I jumped into it, binged the whole thing in like two weeks and yeah. uh, it, it's awesome, man. Yeah. It, it's awesome. The, from the, from the beginning, from the jump, uh, he's running outside and then he, he gets jumped by those Mexicans and he just whoops them. Cause they don't know what he's about like, and then like everything that goes into it is such a good show. Uh, listeners, if you haven't watched kingdom, I 100% recommend it. Uh, I'm on season two. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's like like you said though. It's pretty dark. There's some there's some things in there that yeah. you know that goes on in the uh, MMA world that you know kind of gets a light shined on it. But <laughs> it's it's amazing, man. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a real it's it's just a it, I I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, two things about that show that that I thought were funny. Number one, did you ever watch the show Friday Night Lights? Yes. Yeah. 
Okay, so um, Ryan Wheeler from the kingdom is Luke Cafferty from Friday Night Lights. Dang, is that really him? Yes, dude. So I (laughs) literally, I think it was either like the second to last episode or the last episode. I the whole thing, the whole series. I thought he looked really familiar to me. And then it was one of the last two episodes. Like it was just like out of nowhere, the light bulb went off, and I realized who it was. I was like, "Oh shit, that's Luke Cafferty!" Wow, I, yeah. man, I didn't even realize. There you go. All right, so that was that was a B. Uh, the job that Jonathan Tucker does as Jay Kalina is a oh, yeah. masterpiece. Yeah, he's probably. Uh... He's probably my favorite character on the show right now, man. He is, yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and and again, it, it's only going to get crazier. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to to let you finish it out and and uh, get your thoughts. But just one thing on Jay, man, all the stuff that that man does, and for him to be a fighter, and for him to be a a winning fighter at that, like, how in the hell, <laughs> man? That guy, man. Yeah. He's wild, but yeah. I guess you, you kind of have to be that way to be a fighter. Yeah. But, God, he takes it to another yeah. level, that guy. <laughs> yeah, great show, man. I'm, I'm glad you're watching it. It's it's a good watch. Uh, so For sure. Yeah, there's like a, there's actually, I've seen this on Twitter, there are a lot of people that are trying to get Netflix to, like, reboot it. Because yeah. so many people had no idea that it even existed until the pandemic, and it had been over for, like, a year or two. And the pandemic hits, Netflix picks it up, shows the reruns, and everybody's like, this show's amazing. And so many people discovered awesome. it for the first time after it had finished. Uh, yeah, it, it's awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, Netflix should definitely pick it up from like, uh, for like another season or two, man, because I don't know how it's going to end, but like, yeah. God, I'm so into it. Like, it's very rare that a show like grabs my attention from the opening scene. And then it just keeps getting better show just by builds, show. Yeah. Like every single show, it's been good. I, there's, there hasn't been one show where it's just like, ah, oh, that one was okay. I'm just <laughs> like, I need to see another one. Like I can't go to sleep on that one. I got to see another yeah. one. I got to know what happens next. So it, it's amazing. So I've, uh, I, I've, I've kind of tried to all week, like dive into Bedlam basketball and the NBA and the NFL draft. And like, I've tried not to just consistently think about 259 because if I do, it's just going to make this week drag on forever. So I've, I've kind of like stayed away from it most of the week, but you know, we're at the point now where, uh, I mean, the press conferences are happening. We've got the weigh in and then it's fight day. So it's, you know, we're on that like fast track on these final three days uh, to to kind of take all the coverage in as as it kind of wraps up all the way up to fight day. Yeah, man. Uh, the first couple of days this week, uh, I've been I watched uh, some college basketball yesterday. Uh, some really good matchups. Uh, but now, like Wednesday, it was like I was I was like, all right, gotta give me some MMA in there. So yeah. I listened to like three podcasts, caught up on some <laughs> interviews. So. Like w- today, I've been in complete MMA mode. Nice, <laughs> nice. And now I'm I'm pretty stoked for this pod. I'm pretty stoked for the rest of the week. Like it's, I'm ready, man. 
All right, well, uh, the way we do this is we generally rewind to what we watched last week. We'll go over the point totals, uh, all that good stuff as far as our picks, and then we will make our UFC 259 picks to close this thing out, as well as go over a couple of headlines in the sport. And there are a couple things to talk about, uh, but let's rewind to last week. I'll just, I'll just kick it to you straight out of the gate. Did you have any big takeaways from last Saturday? Anything that really stood uh, out to you? Man, um, well, from the first fight, or uh, the first or second fight with, uh, what is the, his last name, Lawrence? Ronnie Lawrence, yeah. Ronnie Lawrence, yeah. That kid for his UC debut to, to be like that, man, to put on a performance like that, he's got a bright future for sure. Um, he definitely stood out. Um, and then uh, your, your man, Pedro Munoz. Pedro <laughs> Munoz. Cap the calf kick master, I mean, goodness, Jimmy Rivera's leg. I mean, I don't know how he withstood it. Uh, that was a tremendous fight. Um, Magomed Akalayev over Nikita Krylov. That was a pretty uh, solid fight. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people had a, um, had some things to say about the main event. Yeah. I kind of feel a little differently about it uh, with the Surreal Gone and Rosenstrike. Uh, I feel like... Uh, I saw a lot from Surreal Gone, that, but, you know, a lot of people are just like, you know, it was a snooze fest or whatever. Yeah. I feel a lot differently about it. I feel like we saw some things. We saw a lot of potential from him. He fought uh, the smart fight. And for him to only be in his eighth professional fight, for him to show maturity and uh, a fight IQ like that, I feel like we, I saw a lot from him. Here's what drives me crazy. And, and I'm certainly not an MMA expert by any means, but this is what drives me crazy about the sport. We rewind one week ago and we watch Curtis Blades <laughs> and Derek Lewis. Yeah. And everybody just crucifies Curtis Blades for trying to force the action and not fighting a smart fight. And he gets caught and gets KO'd and, and he's been made fun of now for an entire week. So surreal yeah. gone one week later does exactly what everybody said uh, Curtis Blades should have done, fights the smart fight, doesn't get caught, wins decisively, is absolutely a contender in the heavyweight division, and now people are calling him a boring fighter because he didn't push the action more. Makes zero sense. <laughs> that makes zero sense, man, because, I mean, Shrill Gone, he's moving. He's doing his thing. He's keeping Rosenstrike at distance. Sarzino's not pushing the action. Uh, Shrill's doing enough to win. Yeah. He's winning. He's active. And Jarzino's just staying back. If I'm his corner, I'm not telling him, man, you're winning, but I'd like to see some more action. <laughs> right. I'd, I'd, I'd like to see you... I'd like to see you uh, put yourself in a little bit more danger. Yeah. You know, Can you um, just stick your chin out a little bit? Like Maybe, yeah, maybe let him take yeah. a couple free swings at you? Yeah, stick your chin out, kind of get into the get into his range, you know. Just just get something for the fans, you know. Just do that, you know. If I'm his corner, I'm not saying none of that. Yeah. If I'm his corner, I'm saying you're doing great. Keep doing exactly what you're doing. Yeah. If Jarzino if Jarzino changes anything, then we'll talk about change or something. But if he's gonna stay back and just not do anything and just kind of lay back and let you have your way with him, then go ahead and just continue. I mean, right. I don't see, I don't see. Any way where uh, could have should have changed his strategy because it was working and he had Jarzino stuck, really, yeah. trying to figure out the puzzle. Yeah. 
I mean, and, and Jarzinho knew if, if I get any closer, it could be a foot, it could be a knee, it could be an elbow, it could be a punch. Like, I'm not going to know where it's coming, where Jarzinho's at a, at a reach, at a height disadvantage. Like, he's got to figure out a way to get inside, and he just did not seem to have an answer for it. And pushing the action wasn't Gon's job. He was winning the fight. The guy that's yeah. losing the fight is the guy that needs to be pushing the action. If there are two guys in the octagon and it's not a, you know, a super like busy fight, the guy that's losing has the burden to try and pick up the tempo or pick up the pace or force the action more because he's behind on the scorecard. Why on earth would the guy that's <laughs> winning the fight change anything? That's what I don't exactly. get. And, and you know, I, I think it's crazy that people think gone should have, uh, you know, gotten crazy and, and gone for a knockout or whatever. He gets a bonus. He gets paid. He put himself in position to make even bigger paydays. It, it just, it, the burden was not on Cyril gone to, to, to force the action in any way when he was completely cruising to a W in that win. So first and foremost, if you want to criticize anybody, uh, I think, you know, the, the burden should be on Rosenstrike to force the action, especially after those first couple rounds when you just saw the fight is going to play out this way for five rounds unless he decides to change something. Exactly. So that's the first part of it. Secondly, you know, we, we had just, like, I get the whole, like, we just watched Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera fight. And then you go yeah. to that fight and it feels stale. And I totally understand that perspective because, like, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that was a wildly entertaining fight, especially when you have just watched Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera. It wasn't even close to as entertaining as that fight was. Not all fights are created equal. And, you know, again, I, I think uh, in, on some level, you just have to respect what the matchup is and understand that. Maybe against somebody else, Gone gets behind early and has to has to pick things up. But to criticize Cyril Gone for anything in that fight to me is is just completely stupid. I I, I don't get it. Yeah, I, I completely agree, man. Uh, and just last week we saw uh, Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades big heavyweight matchup, and Blades was favorite favored to win. He made a mistake. Derek Lewis capitalized. It. Yeah. Okay. Shrill Gun comes out and he's like, okay, I'm not going to make those same mistakes. This is a big heavyweight matchup. If I win, I'm elevated to the top of the division. I'm getting a really big fight next. So if he's, he's go out, he goes out there first couple rounds, he's winning. He's up two rounds, three rounds, going into the championship rounds. Why is it on him to change something? Why is it on him to change something at all? Yeah. Now, if, if you're in the championship rounds, you're up 3-0. You're going to keep doing what you did in the first three rounds to secure you to secure a victory. Jarzinho had had many crazy explosions or anything, so he still had knockout power. You know, the power, all that was still there. So any little mistake that Shrill would have made, Jarzinho had the power to knock him out. So Shrill played it smart. He played it safe, and he knew he had the he knew he had the win. the The burden's on Jarzinho for sure because. If you're down three rounds, I'm sure his corner's telling him, like, hey, man, we're going to have to pick it up. You're going to have to get inside. You're going to have to, you know, change something. Get inside, and you got to see if you can land on this guy. Yeah. You know, you're going to have to put it on the line. If I'm Jarzinho's corner, I'm saying that to him. If I'm Surreal's corner, I'm telling him to keep doing what you're doing. But Jarzinho's the one who has to change something, who has to force the action. And he just was content with staying back and not getting knocked out, it seemed like. He yeah. didn't want to uh, take a chance on getting knocked out. So, 
you know, Surreal didn't want to get knocked out either. So, I mean, we saw what we saw. They both respected each other's power, but Surreal Gunn had more skill and it showed. And, you know, that's why he got that W. We said this a week ago. There was basically one path for Rosenstrike to win this fight. And it was the same path that Derek Lewis needed against Curtis Blades. It was landing the one big shot and it was maybe being helped out by the other guy making a mistake and opening up that possibility to, to Rosenstrike. And, and that, that option was never there. Um, you know, I, I give gone a lot of credit also. I, I, I agree with you. I, I do feel like Rosenstrike was timid and, and maybe could have forced it more. I also think surreal gone was just really good at, at keeping him away. And, and, you know, it, it, it always just kind of felt like gone was in so much con- control of that fight and in, in control of the distance that, uh, you know, certainly he could have just said, you know what, I'm going in, and if I have to eat a, a you know, a KO punch, then I'm going to eat a KO punch. But, he, I mean, short of doing that, um, you know, you never really know how much it has to do with the other guy also just keeping you from finding an in, you know, to, to try and get into a slugfest. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the whole time Shrogan, he's moving, you know, bounce on his feet, yeah. being very elusive. So you never really knew uh, what he was going to do. So it kind of seemed like Jarzino was just kind of watching him. Right. Uh, trying to see, like, if there is an opening, like, where is it at? But it's kind of hard to find it if Shrill's still move- he's moving and he's so far away. And then his chin is so high up because he's 6'6". So, like, Jarzino's first of all, he's far away. And then he's got to get inside. Like, the recipe for success for Jarzino, it was really, really slim. And he couldn't figure it out. And uh, Surreal, it was it was a masterclass. I mean, he was chopping him up from distance. And then whenever he whenever it did get close, he would just kind of grapple him or you know grab him up um, to where Jarzino couldn't even swing. You know, really, if you uh, wanted to land a, a big power punch. So yeah, Surreal had control of the distance. He um, he did great. Jarzino just couldn't figure it out, and he cruised that victory. All right, so we, uh, we'll continue with this card in a second, but while we're talking about the heavyweights, after that fight, Surreal God moves up three spots to the number four ranking in the heavyweight division. Rosenstrike drops two spots to the number six ranking in that division. And the breaking news today in the UFC, they have parted ways with their number seven and number 12 ranked heavyweights. Say goodbye to two legends in the UFC, Alistair Overeem and Junior Dos Santos. Man, uh, it's crazy. Like, when I heard the news, I think you told me uh, about the news. I started thinking back to, like, when I first started watching the sport, like, Junior Do- Junior Dos Santos was coming up. He was the surreal guy. He was the guy who was yeah. uh, the, sca- the scary guy coming up, uh, getting all these knockouts. Um, and then he ended up winning the title uh, in that big – fight with Cain Velasquez and then he had that those uh that trilogy with Cain Velasquez I mean those fights man I remember watching that and just always being very excited for uh, a Junior Dos Santos fight man uh he's he was always exciting uh I still feel like he can he can go but just you know these younger guys they're starting to take over the sport and you know the UFC sees that uh and then with Overeem pretty much the same thing uh I didn't really know much about him uh my friends were always telling me uh, before he made his debut against Brock, like, man, Overeem, he's he's massive. Yeah. He can strike. Yeah. Uh, we'd all, all we'd this. all seen like the YouTube highlights, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, a, I mean, he was a, like a YouTube legend. And like all of his fights, like his pride fights, glory yeah. kickboxing, like he was a legend outside of the UFC. And I and I was just a fan of the UFC at the time. So I had no idea who Alistair Overeem was. But when I saw him, of course, the guy was Jack City. Like, his, <laughs> like he, there was muscles coming out of his muscles, like his pe- like pecs and traps and like everything was just so huge. And then, like, he made a guy like Brock look not even that big. Like, yeah. he was huge back then. And uh, he came into the UFC, dominated Brock. And he had a tremendous run over the over the course of uh, uh, 10 years, uh, 10, 11 years. And, man, he uh, had that title shot against Stipe. Didn't go his way. Uh, I wish he would have got a chance to uh, have a title reign in the UFC because that just would have been a, a great, like, ending to his career uh he's won like every major championship outside of that ufc title yeah but you know it's sad to see it's crazy that Overeem is not a a a champion right like yeah the guy's a monster in the sport and i mean as far as big names he's got to be on a short list of the biggest names in ufc history to not win a belt right he's got to be at the top like if he's not at the very number one he's got to be at least top two or three because his his career speaks for itself, and just you know he's he's beaten like a who's who of the UFC, and he's fought a, a who's who, and for him to not win it, you know, it's just tough. But you know, he was always game. Uh, he fought everyone. Um, you know, you just would have wished that he would have got that championship. But you know, it's gonna be interesting to see what they do next. But you know, sad to see them go out of the UFC for sure. So we are uh, we are what three weeks away from. Stipe, Francis, and Ganu. Obviously, John Jones is next. Uh, Derek Lewis is waiting in the wings after his KO last week. I'll be curious to see what they do with Curtis Blades. And and I think he mentioned uh, the fight week going into that Lewis fight that he only had one fight after the Lewis fight left on his contract. So when you see them part ways with those two guys, excuse me, got a little choked up. When you see them part ways with JDS and Alistair Overeem, you see an injection of youth in the heavyweight division. I think the Curtis Blades thing is really interesting as well. I'll be curious to see if if they decide to bring him back or if they let him maybe just finish out the contract and, and uh, you know, take offers elsewhere. But, uh, you know, we, we talked about it a week ago. The heavyweight division, it, almost, it feels like a, a fresh, brand-new division with John Jones being a new face, with some of the young guys that that you know we just watched in the last couple weeks uh, have some big fights, win some big fights. Aspinall, Dawkins, Cyril Gon is a guy that what has fought eight times in his MMA career and is already a, a top five heavyweight in the UFC. So um, I like where this division is. There's a lot of youth. There's a lot of movement, and uh, I, I you know after Francis Stipe, I, I, this is going to be fun to see what the shakeup looks like. Yeah, there's a lot of young blood coming in, and I definitely feel like it's making some of these older guys, you know, expendable. You know, you can uh, make a move like uh, getting rid of JDS and Alice Arvarim, even though they're legends of the sport. You know, there's a lot of young talent coming in, and, you know, they have bright futures as to where these two guys, you know, they're, they're, they're reaching the end of their career. So uh, there's a lot of young, young blood coming up. The division is very fun. Um, and, and then you still have such an intriguing matchup at the top of the division with Stipe and Francis to where if one guy wins, if Stipe wins, the division goes one way. If Francis wins, the division goes 
like a complete opposite way. Like it's, I, I can't, I can't wait to see how it all plays out. Uh, John Jones waiting in the wings and then so, so much young talent. Uh, the Curtis Blades thing is pretty interesting though, because with one fight left on his deal, um, I'm sure he's going to want more money. Um, he's not the, he's not, he doesn't have the advantage like he did before the Derek Lewis fight. You know, he was on that, on a win streak. Yeah. He just said, he, you know, he was just like, I'm going to keep beating guys and everything with this loss, you know, it kind of puts him, it kind of puts him at the UFC's, uh, bay, you know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah. I don't know what the UFC is going to end up doing. Uh, I feel like they'll keep him around because he's still pretty young. Um, uh, he's got a lot of potential. Um, but, um, people have been saying that he's a snooze fest or whatever, you know, uh, he kind of, didn't have a lot of nice things to say with, or Dana didn't have a lot of nice things to say about him after he beat uh, Alexander Volkov. So I think maybe uh, they do give him one more fight, but I'm not sure if uh, they'll reach, you know, terms, you know, agree yeah. to terms before that fight, like you see with a lot of other fighters. So, um, yeah, yeah, the heavyweight division, man, it's really interesting uh, with the title being defended. A lot of movement going on, and now there's a lot of uh, there's two open spots in the top fifteen, and you know we'll we'll see what happens going forward. So we both had Cyril gone in the main event last week. The final score of our picks a week ago: Will Brewer with five points, Colby Daniels with four points. So uh, a point advantage for you last week, which brings the total since we switched our scoring format two weeks ago. Uh, you have an eight six lead. At this point, as we go get ready for a massive Ooh. card that that uh, gives us some Ooh. some big point values in this one, so uh, you know we could potentially see this thing shake up. Um, what'd you think of uh, Ankalaev Krylov? I thought that was a pretty uh, interesting fight. Uh, I I picked Krylov. I wasn't really confident in it. I wasn't. I didn't. I wasn't sure about this fight. I felt like it was really close. But um, in the first round, Krylov, he, he surprised me. I feel like his striking has gotten a lot better. I felt like he would take it to the ground. and I would see a, a lot more um, submission attempts. I've seen him submit uh, guys who are kind of like uh, Akalayev. But, you know, I, I was really impressed with his stand-up. And then it just seemed like after that first round, uh, Akalayev was kind of like, okay, uh, I know what he, I know what he's about now, and uh, it's hard for me to take over. And from after that first round, you know, Akalaya pretty much just took over, man. And the second and third rounds, he showed that you know he's a really dangerous guy on on his feet, and he can handle his own on on the ground as well. So, um, yeah, he's he's definitely a, a contender in that heavyweight division that people are going to have to look out for. He moves up four spots to number seven in the latest rankings after that win. Uh, that was a fight where, I mean, I don't, I don't know what kind of fight everybody expected. I, I think I expected maybe a little bit more fireworks in that fight than we saw, but, um, you know, I, I, that's not a, that's, it's not a bad thing as far as what the fight was versus my expectations. I just thought we might see some like heavier exchange situations. I agree because, um, both of these guys were coming off of finishers, I believe. And w with Ekalayov, he finished uh, Kutalaba in his last fight, and it was a devastating knockout. Uh, Krylov, he, he's – every fight I've really seen him in, it's been a war, whether it's been on the feet or whether it's been on the ground. It, it's always been a war. So uh, I, I think with the stakes, I think with the light heavyweight division being wide open now, 
uh, with John Jones leaving and then Jan's the champion and like, you know, everyone wants to get, wants to make sure that they win. And that was a really big fight for the division. And, uh, you know, Akalaya moved up four spots, you know, um, that's a big jump. And if Kralov would have won, who's to say that he wouldn't have moved up, you know, yeah. three, three, four spots. So, um, I, I think the magnitude of the fight probably got to both of them, and, and they both wanted to ensure a win, so they both didn't want to, you know, risk uh, take big risk. But it was still a it, it was still a fun fight uh, for for the three rounds that it lasted. So um, I was I was impressed. I guess you could say I was pretty impressed by both of them. But yeah. uh, you're right, man. I thought that there was going to be a, a much more of a slugfest. We uh, we called last week the the best fight on the card being Pedro Munoz Jimmy Rivera. Uh, the matchup just dictated that it was going to be fireworks and that it was going to have those heavy exchanges that we just talked about. Uh, it absolutely delivered. It was a fun fight. I don't know how Jimmy Rivera was able to to make his way to the finish line, uh, much less even look good at times in the third round, but. Man, that was a fun fight. Uh, you know, Pedro Munoz, I, I think, just delivers every time he's on a card. Every time he's in action, I feel like he's 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 a little bit like Justin Gaethje. Every time he's in a fight, it just screams fight of the night, right? He's just going to force that type of action. And those calf kicks in, in round one, they, I mean, Jimmy Rivera's leg seemingly was compromised so quickly that it just became, you know, Pedro Munoz was able to score for those first two rounds and, and really run away with it. Man, I, I'll tell you, man, that, that was a really fun fight. But let me tell you this. The way that I expected Pedro Munoz to fight was how Jimmy Rivera came out. And then the way I, I expected <laughs> Jimmy Rivera to come out is how Pedro Munoz came out. Like I expected Pedro Munoz to be the headhunter. But Jimmy Rivera was swinging away yeah. at him, like from the, from the with opening. With heat. Yeah, with heat every single time, and and Pedro's coming out with these calf kicks, and I'm like, okay, Pedro's getting yeah. better, you know. Uh, he's adding layers to his game. More, and that's it, a, more that's calculated, I felt like out of the gate. Absolutely, yeah. way more calculated, and that's scary for the division because if he if he's adding layers to his game and he's and his fight IQ is getting higher, that's that's a really scary contender uh, for 135, and then. He's adding calf kicks to his game, man, along with that power. I mean, Pedro Munoz, the sky's the limit for him. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested to see what's next for him. But to beat a guy like Jimmy Rivera and to not not only just beat him, but kind of just run away with it uh, over three rounds, to beat a guy like Jimmy Rivera like that, that's a huge feather in his cap for sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll be excited to see what's next. Uh, look, for both of those guys, um, it, you know, I, I'm sure that Jimmy Rivera is going to have to take some time to let that leg heal, but – uh, oh, yeah. Good Lord, the, the toughness <laughs> just to get through that. And you could tell he was feeling a lot of pain in, in those footsteps. And, and, and it, it was to the point that I felt like I was wincing every time one of those kicks would land. You know, when you could just like start to feel for the guy so much because it's visible that every one of those kicks was impacting him that way. But uh, man, that was a great fight. We, we thought it was going to be the best fight on the card. I think it delivered. Um, let me ask you about this because I, I've heard a lot of this conversation over the last few days. People, I think, are starting to get fed up with the calf kicks. Uh, I mean, I, I guess it's because it's such a devastating technique. And like, uh, if people don't know how to defend them, 
they're just going to keep chopping away at those legs. And so it kind of just makes it to where this is just a calf kick battle or, you know, yeah, some, something like that. But for me, it's just like, okay, so a calf kick is a dominant technique. So are we going to take that? Are we going to stop with takedowns? Do you want to take takedowns away? Do you want to take out heavy uh, right-handed punches away? Do you want to take away head kicks? Like that's just the, to me, the, the calf kicks are just another layer of MMA. Uh, you just got to learn. It's it's fairly new, so people are going to have to learn how to defend it. Uh, check leg kicks instead of just taking them yeah. over and over and over again. I mean, instead of blaming the people, the person who's throwing the calf kick, you know, put something on these guys who are taking 20 calf kicks per fight. You know, after a while, you got to try to do something to stop these calf kicks. Either um, check them. That's the thing that most people do. Check the kick or just, you know, maybe move out of the way of these kicks because after you take two or three you have to try to change it up and most of these fighters are waiting too late to try to change their approach after they've taken so many leg kicks it's too late after that yeah i've heard fighters say this and and this is where you know i value the opinion of somebody that's been in that situation and and can speak from that standpoint Uh, i've heard several fighters say there's not really a defense of that. Even when you're checking it, there's still damage being done to that calf. And it just, it doesn't take long for that to be compromised in that way. Um, at the same time, from my standpoint, I kind of look at this sport sometimes. And I think there are so many fans. They don't like seeing guys be in the fight in the clinch. They don't like seeing fights go to the ground. Now they don't want calf kicks. Seemingly people want this to be boxing yeah. But they don't want it to be boxing. Like, if you want to watch boxing, go watch yeah. Canelo Alvarez destroy the guy that he destroyed on Saturday night in, like, two rounds and oh, go God. watch boxing. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I get it. I understand that the big punch KOs are, the, are, are as exciting as anything in the sport. And I'm absolutely with everybody that, you know, the stand-up wars are the most exciting fights. But they become those types of fights because... You know, guys aren't just worried about getting hit in the head. Like you have to defend everything and it opens up the opportunity for bigger shots. If you only want punches being thrown, then go watch the other sport. Absolutely. I mean, this is mixed martial arts. This isn't just boxing, you know, boxing is a big part of it, but, uh, guys are able to wrestle. They're able to, uh, throw submissions. They're able to use their knees, legs. I mean, People, these guys, these fighters, they're going to have to use everything in their arsenal. I mean, we see people who try to use just boxing, and sometimes it doesn't always work out because, you know, you got the grappler who's like, this guy only wants to strike with me. I'm going to take him down. Yeah. So, um, man, it's it's just it's tough to call, man. Uh, MMA is, is, is such a fun sport, but, you know, people, the casuals, they just want to see a stand-up war <laughs> yeah. and everything. Like, but for, for us hardcore, like, MMA guys, like, seeing a guy like Surreal Gan go out there and put on the performance that he put on, the casuals are calling it boring. He's a, he's a stoose fest. But I was just, but for me, I'm like, wow, that was a pretty impressive uh, performance. Did exactly what Dustin he should have done, yeah. And then Dustin Poirier using uh, calf kicks over Connor, that's that's a brilliant tact. That's, that's, that's brilliant to me because... Connor's front leg, it's there. He puts so much weight on that front leg. For his coaches to come up with that game plan to start using calf kicks, that's masterful. And then for Dustin to execute that game plan, 
for me, to me, that's just the mark of a really, really skilled MMA fighter. And and then you have someone like Connor who chases the knockout and everything. That's while that's fun. You, there's still so many layers to MMA, and that's why he says like he needed rounds. He was you know used to having boxing because he boxed with Floyd Mayweather. He wanted to box Manny Pacquiao. Okay, but if you only train boxing, you're not gonna win an MMA fight. That's why he's kept saying yeah. like I need rounds in in this sport. So. I mean, I think fans are going to have to, you know, have a, a brighter, a, a, a bigger mind when it comes to this sport because this sport is so much more than just the right and the left hand. Yeah. If you want to watch boxing, a sport that, you know, most of the, the big-time fighters don't ever want to fight each other and they all want to hold on to their separate belts and all that, like, yeah. go watch that sport. And look, I, I'm, I'm not trying to say that I, you know, I don't enjoy certain fighters and, you know, anytime Canelo Alvarez fights, for example, I absolutely had that on my other screen Saturday night and, and, you know, it was a massive show. By the way, it was really cool within the span of like five minutes to see Michael Buffer doing the intro for the, uh, for the Canelo fight and then Bruce Buffer doing the UFC fight. That was, that was pretty cool, but uh, (laughs) yeah, it's just, I feel like people want this to be boxing but but maybe like the less formal version of boxing and like you can't have both you know like it's either either watch boxing or accept the fact that fighting in the clinch and fighting on the ground and calf kicks are a part of what this sport is absolutely it's it's a big part of what this sport is and it's what makes this sport so great i mean yeah, just like you said, if you want to watch uh, two guys just box with their right and left hands and, you know, fight in the same stance and everything, that's fine. But if you want to see uh, versatility and, and everything that goes yeah. into MMA, I mean, t- watch the UFC for, for what it truly is, man. Watch watch these guys fight at the, at, the, at the top level, have to worry about so many different things. You never know what's coming. You never know if it's going to be wrestling, if it's going to be a head kick, if it's going to be a spinning wheel kick, if it's going to be a – a flying knee from Corey Sanhagen. I mean, there's a lot of layers to this game that makes it fun. And then there's a lot of layers to this game that, that make you see uh, the top, top fighters, you know, a guy who can, who can grapple, who can overly grapple like uh, Khabib, who can dominate with grappling. That's fun. That's fun to me. A guy who's uh, crazy with his, with his unorthodox striking, like John Jones, like uh, Israel Adesanya. That's great. Uh, A guy with, with crazy submission technique, like a Damian Maya, like that's, it's always fun, and there's always danger in this sport. And for what it's worth, people should definitely just look into this sport for for all of it because it's called mixed martial arts for a reason. It's not just called boxing. All of it, it's just fun. Yeah. And if you really take a chance to just look at it for what it is, you'll become hardcore fans like like you and I are. <laughs> and, and look, I, I totally understand the people that love the stand-up wars, and, and I'm in that group. I love stand-up wars. I mean, the, the Max Holloway-Calvin Cater fight, it, it was amazing to watch those guys just slug yeah. it out. That was a, that was a fun fight. I, I'm not disputing Absolutely. that those aren't entertaining, but we see this in basketball. We see this in football. We see this in every sport. Not every game or every matchup is the same. You have great football games, and you have boring football games. And the bottom line is, if you're a football team that has a matchup that says, hey, I can run the ball for three yards on this team every time I snap the football, but my quarterback can't throw the ball for shit, why would that team air the ball out 40 times? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Yes, running the ball for three yards every snap may not be as fun as, you know, this, this massive air attack, but you have to... 
approach the other team in a way that gives you the best chance to win. And that doesn't always equate to the most exciting situation, but if you're a fan of this sport or, or even if you're somebody that's just getting into this sport and you're having a hard time understanding some of these fights that may not be the most exciting, just think about it from that perspective for a second before you like lose your mind about how these fighters suck and it's a boring fight and, and the UFC should be ashamed of themselves for putting this product out. It, that, oh, that drives me crazy. And there was a lot of that on Saturday night, literally a week after people called Curtis Blade stupid for not being patient and, uh, you know, ugh, drove me insane. Yeah, I agree, man. Uh, <laughs> I, I definitely see where I definitely see where you're coming from. Uh, it's warranted. I mean, people people these days, man. I mean, I, I guess some there's times that the UFC, that some of these guys, there's been like knockout after knockout. There's been exciting highlight after exciting highlight, like like Joaquin Buckley's knockout, like Jorge Masvidal's knee. I think people are some of these people when they get into the sport and they see stuff like that, they automatically say, okay, I'm going to watch UFC and I'm going to see what this is about. Yeah. I just saw uh, a guy get knocked out in five seconds and then they see a fight like Surreal Ghan and Darcy and Rosa <laughs> strike and they're just like, man, this isn't, this isn't what I signed up to watch, man. What is this? This is stupid, you know? So, I mean, I guess um, if you're looking at it from that perspective, I, I see where it would be boring, but, but man, the UFC or the MMA in general is such a fun sport. Um, yeah, man, I, I just encourage people just to watch just to watch it all and just get to give it a chance. Yeah. All right, you ready to go over this 259 card? We talked about we've talked about this for a few weeks. Um, I even made the statement I think this is on the short list for the best pay-per-view cards I, I've ever seen. Man, I'm so ready to talk about UFC 259. I've been waiting for this for the last month and a half, two months, man. <laughs> I've been waiting for this. This this is a crazy stacked card, um, and and it's it's not just crazy stacked. I mean, there's been some fight cards where there's been three title fights, and you're just like, okay, this is good. Um, but you know, outside of these three title fights, the rest of these are just kind of eh. But this card from top to bottom is filled with such great fights, great fighters, exciting matchups, very intriguing. Um, I can't wait, man. It's gonna be it's gonna be a phenomenal night. Dude, think about this for a second. Let's just take the pay-per-view part of this card out of the equation. Let's just imagine that the early prelims and the prelims were all we were going to see. That would mean your main event is a former champion in Dominic Cruz fighting an up-and-comer in Casey Kenny, which I think is a terrific matchup and go going to be a fun fight. You have, in the next match, a bantamweight fight between... Song Yudong, who's currently the number 14 ranked bantamweight against Kyler Phillips. You have a flyweight matchup with Benavidez and Askarov, the number two and three flyweights. You have another flyweight matchup with Bontran and Cara France, the number eight and nine flyweights, I believe. That's just the prelims. Then you go to the early prelims. Tim Elliott's the number 12 fly, uh, flyweight in action against Jordan Espinoza. Uh, you've got Sean Brady, Jake Matthews, which I think is a really interesting matchup and, and you know, a, a fight that uh, I, I just, I, I think both guys, you know, have, uh, have interesting, interesting games. Um, yeah, it's just all the way up and down, just the prelims. You have good matchups. And, and look, I would say if the prelims existed on their own and that was like a fight night card, that would be better than some of the fight night cards we've seen at points. 
Absolutely. You can make you can make the early prelims and the prelims just a fight night. And we would be talking about the card and we'd be like, there's some really exciting fights, yeah. some really intriguing matchups. We would be really excited for this. We'd be talking about Dominic Cruz being a former champion, uh, taking on Casey Kenny, who who isn't ranked, I believe, at the moment, but who's on a like a three or four fight winning streak, who's very dangerous. Uh, we're trying to see if Dominic Cruz is going to uh, be uh, come back and get back on track. If he's still that guy that he once was. Uh, Joseph Benavidez coming off those two uh, title losses uh, to Figueredo. Um, what does he have left? Uh, a lot of intriguing matchups, and then uh, Carlos Olberg on the on the prelims. Yeah, uh, he's really he's yeah. really exciting. Uh, love watching him fight Tim Elliott. He he's crazy. Every fight he's in is going to be a, <laughs> a, a, a war. If you're looking for a war, go watch yeah. Tim Elliott because he's going to give you one for sure. Euros uh, Medic is a guy that's making his UFC debut, and he was a guy that. Dana absolutely fell in love with uh, on Contender Series. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of contender, contender Series guys that Dana loves. So if, if, if Dana if Dana's going to put you on a card like this, you know that uh, that this guy has some type of something uh, for, for the fans. And then also, um, Kai Car France, man. Uh, he, he lost his last one, I believe, but he's an exciting fighter. Um a lot of exciting matchups, and I mean, just just for that to be your tune-up for the main card, that's, I mean, it couldn't get any better. By the way, we're only picking the main card, but I'm curious. Dominic Cruz, former champion, took a lot of time off. He had the championship loss to Henry Cejudo in his comeback fight. Uh, that's been, it's been about a year, hasn't it, at this point, or or maybe like ten months. Um, it, it feels like it's been close to a year, but uh, back in action, Dominic Cruz, Casey Kenny. This this is a really exciting one to me. Absolutely, um, man. It poor Dominic Cruz, man. He's had to deal with so many injuries uh, in the prime of his career, and now he's just now starting to get healthy, and he's already towards the towards the end. And uh, you know, his last few fights haven't gone well it's with with uh, Cody and then Cejudo, but. These are guys who are at the top of the sport, at the top of the division. Uh, he's used to fighting title fights. He hasn't had a, a prelim fight in, in years. And he only had that prelim fight in 2014 because he tore his ACL. And that was his first fight back. So, like, he's had so many injuries, man, and a lot of layoffs. Even though this layoff has been 11, 10, 11 months, this is one of his shorter layoffs of his yeah. career. And it's crazy to say that because – his layoffs have been three, four years in between fights because he's had so many injuries, and it's just been one thing after the other after the other for him. Um, but for people to kind of – I feel like people are kind of writing him off, and I think it's too soon. I mean, granted, he's lost to Cejudo. He lost to Cody Garbrandt. But for me, I didn't see, I didn't see where people were like, yeah, he's done. I didn't see that. I kind of felt like, you know, he just got caught. You know, but I didn't see him slowing down whatsoever. I still feel like he moves the same awkward style. Um, I just feel like he, people are are able to catch him more, and I I don't think that's a knock on Dominic. I just think that's the evolution yeah. of the sport. Guys are getting faster. Guys are more powerful uh, at that weight, and uh, you know, Dom is taking time off, and he's he has to adapt to these guys. And I think a fight with Casey Kenny, we're really going to get to see where he's at. And Casey Kenny. I don't want people to think that this is a tune-up fight, even though 
Casey Keeney's not ranked. That's a really dangerous fighter. He's won three in a row, three or four in a three row, in a row I believe. Yeah. Three in a row. And uh, if he wins this fight, he's going to jump right into the rankings. He's he's probably a guy who's right on the cusp of breaking into that top 15. But the 135-pound division is so loaded that he's uh, just right outside yeah. of it. And uh, the bantamweights, that's one of the best divisions in the entire UFC. So. Uh, this isn't isn't a tune-up fight for Cruz whatsoever, but we're really going to get to see where he's at. We talked about it like two weeks ago, and I said, you know, we had the the conversation. One fifty-five is the division in the sport right now, but I think one thirty-five is next. I mean, it's not just the guys ranked in the top five or the guys ranked in the top ten. I mean, this is a division that when you get past fifteen, there are uh, still a, a load of dangerous names that that could easily be one fight away from from jumping into that ranked conversation. So it's a very fun division. Uh, I'll say this about Dominic Cruz's last fight. For as much criticism as anybody wants to give him, let's also remember he was fighting a guy that's pretty good in his own right. It, it's not as though, you know, this is a former champion that took time off, recovered from an injury, and then took the octagon for a tune-up fight against Joe No Name. I mean, he was fighting Henry, Henry Cejudo, for crying out loud. So... Again, it was a loss. Credit Henry for winning. Um, you know, there's the debate about the stoppage and whether it was a bad stoppage and all that. I don't want to get into that. But the bottom line is, Henry won the fight. Henry deserves a little credit in this scenario as opposed to just everybody chalking it up to Dominic Cruz being done. I don't think he's done. I think this is going to be an awesome fight. Uh, Casey Kinney fought four times in 2020. Uh, he lost to Marab Devalishvili at the first part of 2020, and then he has three straight wins. Uh, yeah, this is 16-2-1 overall for Casey Kinney. Uh, this this either makes Casey Kinney a top 15 fighter at 135, or certainly with a win for Dominic Cruz, just knowing the history and his legacy and the kind of guy he is, it really projects him right back into that conversation as well. Yeah, man, just to uh, touch up on that fight with uh, Suhuda and Cruz, if you remember, that was the first fight uh, back from the from the pandemic. Like, the, yeah. the world had stopped. Yeah. Uh, it, it was crazy. And then the UFC just kind of threw a, threw a card together, right? And you, we really don't know, like, how long Dominic Cruz had really been training because he was off for for years. And then all of a sudden, he's back in, in, in a title fight. And I remember thinking, like, Dominic Cruz is getting a title shot? Like, where did that even come from? Uh, and I think just... Dominic Cruz just saying that he was available to fight got him that title shot. And, you know, it didn't go his way. But, you know, yeah, I didn't see enough for me to say that he was uh, slowing down or that he was done. But uh, I think this one, I, yeah. you know, he's had he's had a good camp, no injuries. He's coming in uh, uh, when he's coming in with no injuries. Uh, he's had a long camp. So we're, I think now we're really going to get to see where he's at. And he's finding a young stud. Uh, it's going to be fun. 135, that division. It's loaded, man. And uh, when you fights like this, you know, there's going to be movement um, in 135 this month. So you have to get these types of wins. And if Dominic Cruz wants to get back to the top of the division, this is a fight he absolutely has to win. Yeah. By the way, I just pulled up Dominic Cruz's uh, history. That Cody Garbrandt fight was December of 2016. I and thought then, it had felt like a long time, but I didn't realize it was December of 2016 before he fought Henry Cejudo May of last year. Yeah. So four-year layoff. Yeah. 
a four-year layoff, and then he's just thrown right into a title fight in the midst of a pandemic. Against a guy That's, that is a, is a two-division champion. Who has who who is beaten <laughs> everyone, who, is, who had beaten Demetrius Johnson and TJ Dillashaw, and then you got Dominic Cruz coming in who's all, off a of four-year layoff. Like, that's, yeah. that's just insane, man. That's insane. Yeah. And, and look, maybe, maybe Casey Kenny dominates this fight and maybe Dominic Cruz doesn't look good, but I'm just saying based on what I saw the last time he fought, I, I, for me, at least I didn't just look at him and say, well, this guy just doesn't have anything left in the tank. It, it wasn't that scenario. Yeah. It was definitely more uh, Henry Cejudo because Dominic moves a lot and, and he moved a lot in that, that fight. He, it's yeah. Yeah. What, like he didn't get dominated in the fight, right? Absolutely not. He didn't get dominated, but Henry Cejudo started attacking his legs. Yeah. I hadn't seen anyone attack Dominic's legs. Dominic moves so much that, you know, it kind of frustrates fighters because they're trying to swing at him, and Dominic's just just moving just out of the way. Moving and, and awkward, and yeah. Exactly. Uh, moving, being real awkward, unorthodox, moving just out of the way of your punches, and he's really frustrating you. But Cejudo didn't try to go out there and take his head off. He came, he came out and, and chopped out his legs, which was really smart on his part. And then in the second or third round, uh, he landed a, a perfect knee that would have dropped anybody. And then, who, you know, who's to say if it was an early stoppage or whatever, you know, it didn't go Dominic's way. But, you know, I think more, more credit should be on Henry Cejudo instead of saying, oh, yeah, Dominic's done. You know, I didn't see that either. Yeah. What's your fight pick, by the way? Ooh. Man. Uh I gotta go, Cruz, man. I I still think he's got it. Same for me. Um, I I gotta I gotta see, I gotta see him actually slow down before I say like, okay, he's done. If if this is gonna be the fight that tells it, but for now, I still think he's one of the top guys in the world. Isn't it also hard to imagine Dominic Cruz losing a fight that goes the distance? Like, I almost feel like Dominic Cruz is one of those guys that if you don't finish him, because of his fighting style, the way he makes you miss, his awkwardness. Like, I feel like if it goes the distance, he's just a guy that's probably going to beat you on the scorecards because you're not going to look good. He's just a guy that doesn't allow you to look good, I think, in, in, in his fights. Absolutely. That's basically what his career has been. Yeah. He, makes, he makes great fighters not look that good. Uh, he doesn't get many finishes. He kind of just – he's one of those guys that has a lot of octagon time, and it's really just from um, just proving that he's better than a lot of these guys. Uh, throughout his whole title reign, he was just proving that he was just better than uh, Uriah Faber and um, uh, Demetrius Johnson. He beat Mighty Mouse, too. Like, throughout his whole career, he's beaten uh, some of the top guys in the division. And, you know, now you know the division is changing, so we're really going to get to see where he's at now. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, he's going to have the advantage if it goes the distance. It's only three rounds, so... Maybe he'll try to push the pace more than he would in a in a five round fight. So uh, we'll, we'll see, man. Uh, I I feel like um, this sport has evolved, so I feel like he will he'll probably get hit a few times. But yeah, I, I think uh, I think he'll be able to withstand that and get a decision. Yeah, Cruz decision for me as well. All right, UFC two fifty nine Saturday March sixth UFC Apex in Las Vegas Nevada. The pay-per-view, Will, starts at 9 o'clock. I, I know a lot of people don't like the late pay-per-view starts or the late main card starts on, on a fight night, for example. I love the late starts. I love when 
no matter what you have going on on a Saturday, like the main card starts late enough that there are, there's no other game in town. You know what I mean? Like zero distractions. This is all we're focusing on. And for me, at least by nine o'clock, there are no distractions and I get the main event, the, the main card all to myself. Absolutely. Uh, I like the main, I like the late starts because I feel like my day just builds uh, throughout the day. And then by the time like three o'clock comes around, I'm like, whew, six hours <laughs> left. Like, oh, here it comes. And then the early prelim starts normally 530, 6. And then I'm just like, oh, OK, yeah. it's, you know, it, it's here. You know, um, I, I'm not a guy who, who will fall asleep, you know, or anything like right when it's fight day, I'm up. I'm up no matter no matter how early I've woken up in the day. I'm up and I'm ready. And and this one, I don't know if I'll be able to sleep uh, Friday night because I'm going to be so excited. Man, it's it's going to be exciting, and I can't wait. By the way, the uh, early prelims start at five o'clock, so we have four hours of awesome fights leading up to the main card, which uh, begins on Saturday night with light heavyweights. Number two, Tiago Santos, and number four, Alexander Rakic. Will Brewer, you currently have the lead in our pick'em, and the floor is yours, sir. Man, um, I tell you what, Tiago Santos' pre-ACL injury was a really scary, scary guy. Um, knocked out the champ, Jan Blahovich, uh, took John Jones to the limit in a title fight. Uh, knocked out Jimmy Manawa, knocked out um, Anthony Smith. You know, he was a, he was a terror. You know, going for uh, going forward before his injury, but then that injury happened. He was out for a year, and you know he comes back against Glover. And I'm not gonna say he wasn't the same fighter, but you know, I, I just didn't see the same. I didn't see the same guy that I saw um, on the on the route to the title, and then I see. Alexander Rakic, who just comes in and just—he's—he's—he's a, he's, he's a scary—he's a scary guy. Um, I, he fought Anthony Smith in his last fight, and from the jump, like he threw about four nasty leg kicks and basically dropped Anthony Smith in within the first like minute of the fight. It was—I had never seen nothing nothing like that. Um, how this—I I, can't—I don't know how this fight's gonna go though because I'm curious to see how Santos looks because I feel like. That was his first fight back. You know, it's in the middle of a pandemic. You know, you know how how ready was he to be back? But now that he's had some some time in the octagon uh, and some more time in training, some more time to recover, how's it going to look? He's got that knockout power. He's a scary guy. Um, but I think Rackage being the taller guy, he might have more uh, tools on the feet. So uh, I'm going to go Rackage on this one. All right. Rockage, by the way, is the betting favorite going into this matchup. I, I don't think Tiago Santos is done making a run at light heavyweight. I, I think he's still a guy that potentially could find himself in a championship position. I go back to that Glover Teixeira fight, and look, Glover has looked good as of late. It, it's, it's not as though he got back in the octagon. Again, I mean, we were just talking about Dominic Cruz after a long layoff. It's not as though Santos got back in the octagon after a long layoff, recovering from an injury, and then was just handed somebody to, you know, warm him up and give him a free W out of the gate. He was given a guy that we all believe is a guy that should be fighting for a 205 belt right now in, in Glover Teixeira. So, I would say that first. 
Secondly, I know he didn't look good on the ground. Again, it, Glover Teixeira is also really good on the ground, so um, take that for what it's worth. I think he hit Glover with some massive shots that probably not many people not named Glover Teixeira would have stayed up from. You know what I mean? Like, I, if Rockich takes those same shots, I don't know that he's still standing or that he still is even able to potentially bring Tiago Santos to the ground. So I'm not ready to call it quits on Tiago Santos. Um, I also, I, I go back to that Rockich anthony Smith fight, and I remember there being some criticism of Rockich for not really finishing the fight and just kind of like grinding out the win when it kind of felt like there were opportunities for him to put Anthony Smith away. And if that is the same mentality that he has against a guy like Tiago Santos, I think he could be in big trouble. So give me Santos by KO. Ooh, okay. I can definitely see that for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, Anthony Smith, I think after a while, after like the first round and a half, I think he knew that, you know, he wasn't going to win that fight. And right. Rock is kind of coasted, but I definitely feel like Thiago Santos, uh, for however long this fight lasts, uh, he's going to be trying to win the fight, yeah. especially if, if it's uh, standing. He's going to be throwing everything, the, throwing the kitchen sink at Rackage. So I uh, definitely see where you're coming from from there. But, um, man, I just think Rackage has more tools that he could use. Um, and, you know, I, I guess I'm a prisoner of recency bias with uh, <laughs> with uh, yeah. Santos losing to, to, to Shara like that and uh, Rakic being the younger, uh, taller guy. So, yeah. uh, but we'll see, man. Uh, but I think Rakic is going to take yeah. it, man. I just watched that uh, that Santos uh, Glover fight again last week, and like at the beginning of that third, it had been a crazy fight anyway. And remember, I think it was at the end of the second. Uh, Glover has him, and and pro if he had 10 more minutes, might have choked him out. Uh, saved yeah. by the bell. Third round starts, and Santos hits him with a massive shot to begin the third round, and I thought it was game over. Like, even re-watching it, like, it just the intensity was there where you thought, like, he's he's got this guy ready to finish him, and then again, it goes to the ground, and, you know, Glover being Glover does what he does. Uh yeah, I, I'm excited for this fight. And look, I, Tiago Santos, I think, is is probably in a situation where he has the long layoff, he loses the debut, he feels urgency. Absolutely. He definitely feels urgency, because, and, and especially because the champion is Jan Blahovic, who he's beaten before. Right. And, uh, you know, Jan said before, like, he would love to run him back with Santos now that he's a champion, defend his title against him and try to get that win back. But... Um, yeah, the, the urgency definitely uh, – Santos is definitely going to be feeling that urgency for sure. And uh, I definitely feel like Rockets just being a taller guy, uh, it's going to be harder for Santos to reach him. But Santos is – he's not one of those guys that's going to be laying back. He's definitely going to be in his face. And he's going to be throwing the kitchen sink at him. Um, yeah, man. I, th yeah. That's – for that to be the, the opening fight of the main card – that's a great fight. Man. I, that's a great fight out of the gate, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for that one. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a Santos fan as well, by the way. But uh, I, I I think the majority of people that I've heard discuss this fight over the over the week are on your side of this thing. So uh, we'll see how it plays out. All right, our number two fight on the main card is back to 155, the division that we love so much. It's um, 
a, a guy in Islam Makashev that has all the hype in the world. We haven't seen him in a while against a guy that really flashed big time a year ago in 2020. He's a guy that was ranked for a little bit um, last year, but has has fallen back out of the current top 15. Certainly worthy of, of a number next to his name. And look, if he wins uh, on Saturday night, that part of it will take care of itself. And, and look, the winner of this, for that matter, is is going to have a big opportunity at 155. But uh, man, this is this is an interesting interesting fight that I've gone back and forth on. So uh, once again, you have the floor, my friend. <laughs> man, uh, for me, um, while at first I was kind of back and forth on it. I mean, with I, I went back and watched some of Islam's fights, and then on top of that, just the way when you hear people talk about him, the people who are close to him, and and then they compare him to Khabib, just with the same type of grappling but with better striking. That's that's a huge that's that's huge, man. Just to, just for uh, people, someone like DC, someone like Khabib to speak so highly of someone like Islam. Um, Man, uh, and then like the the betting lines, like he's a minus what, oh, like three hundred or something. I've got I've yeah, got yeah, it like up I'm right here. Up. I I just like literally when we started this conversation, I pulled up the latest odds because you know how these numbers change all the time. Right. A, based uh, on the current oddshark.com numbers, minus three sixty. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, minus three sixty, and I, that just goes to show like. Uh, how much respect these like the MMA world has for uh, Islam, but Drew Dober is no slouch, man. Drew Dober, if he catches Islam with a good shot, yeah. uh, he, he he can put Islam away for sure. Islam uh, might have good striking, but I definitely think Drew Dober has the advantage. Um, but uh, you know, Islam's just got that that suffocating wrestling uh, with the pressure and. Uh, always going to be searching for that takedown and not going to be a, not going to let Drew Dober breathe. So if if Drew Dober can keep this standing for uh, any amount of time and just try to throw some haymakers, uh, you know maybe you know that'll work out for him. But you know, I just think uh, uh, Islam. I, I think he's got room to grow, but he's at such a high level already. Um, I'm picking Islam in this for in this fight, man. Uh, I think he's going to dominate him. Yeah, it's it's hard to ignore the number when it's when it's that big minus three sixty. Um, I, I, the reason I've gone back and forth on this because, like you, I, I've gone back and watched some of his fights over the last couple weeks. Uh, and and look, I, I think when you just consider Drew Dober lost to Benil Dariush in twenty nineteen, and then I, I think you know his last three wins, he's looked really good, and he looked really good against Alex Hernandez uh, May of last year. He was a guy, you know, I think after that win that I was like, this, you know, highlight that name. That's a guy that is surging. He's a guy to look out for. And and look, I, I would say I, I'm just more impressed with what he's done than Islam. That said, I almost just feel like Islam has so much in the arsenal that, yeah. that it's just a, a much more diverse package, even though he doesn't uh, look as, I think, sharp as Drew Dober has looked recently. Um the, the the you know too much in the arsenal for me and you know I may I, I I'll hate myself if Drew Dober wins this by KO uh, but I, I just uh, yeah I've got to go Islam as well man yeah and 
that's probably the the only way that Judover's probably going to win this fight um, is if he lands that big punch. Because if not, you know, Islam's going to be suffocating him the whole time, pressuring him. Uh, but Drew Dober is definitely uh, capable of winning this fight. Uh, his he's got power um, in, in his hands, and if Islam makes one mistake, man, uh, it could definitely be a short night for yeah. him. So Southpaw too, right? Um, Drew Dober. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, Drew Dober, his striking it, it's very polished. So yeah. uh, Islam's gonna have to be careful. But um, if it, if Islam just goes out there and imposes his will, I think he'll get that W. Yep. All right, we make our way to the first of three championship matchups on Saturday night. Uh, this is one that I've been excited for for a long time. If you follow either of these guys on social media, you've seen the back and forth uh, basically for the last year, right? Um, absolute contrast in styles. Uh, this, was, this was a division that had a vacant title, and I think a lot of people felt like the, the pewter yawn Josie Aldo fight wasn't necessarily the fight to make for the title at that point based on what those guys had accomplished in the division versus, you know, Corey Sanhagen and Aljamain Sterling, for example. Uh, pewter yawn right now is minus 120, Aljamain Sterling minus 110 for the bantamweight Ooh. championship of the world. Will Brewer. Man. Uh, well... As far as my pick, it's a pretty easy pick for me because one of these guys uh, I've been following since he's gotten to the sport, and I'm uh, a big fan. Uh, love his style. Um, but I'll, I want to start with um, with Peter Yan real quick because I, when I first started watching him, you know, I, I realized that he was a pretty good prospect and everything. And then uh, he fought Uriah Faber. And he looked incredible against them. Uh, definitely shut him down. But this is a Uriah Faber who's been on the sidelines for a while. He had retired, came back, got a, he did get a win. And then he threw him in there with a, with a young, hungry stud like Peter Young. And Peter Young basically had his way with him. And we haven't seen Uriah Faber since. Uh, while that was impressive, I remember Dana White after Henry Cejudo vacated. He was uh, They were asking him at the press, you know, who's going to fight for the title, you know, now that Henry Cejudo's vacated. He's like, I don't know. Peter Yan is somebody. And, and I was like, Peter Yan? I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, when there's so many other guys that you could throw in there, like a Al Jermaine, like a Corey Sanhagen, you're you're just going to say Peter Yan's head and shoulders above everyone else in that division. I didn't really agree with it at the time. Uh, and then you put him in there with, with Aldo, who uh, is coming off a loss. I understand why he did it. Aldo had dropped um, down, remember? That was his first yeah. fight in the in the division at 135 against Marais, right? And then he lost. I think a lot yeah, of people thought he won the fight, I, me included. I thought Aldo yeah. won that fight, but he lost the decision. And I think they, it, in some way, maybe wanted to reward him for what kind of felt like he got a, a raw deal there. But he had fought one fight in the division, and it was a decision loss. Exactly. And, and then you're going to tell me that Aldo deserves a title shot over some of these guys like uh, Corey Sanhagen or Aljamain Sterling. I didn't agree with that either. So we're waiting for the bantamweight title, you know, picture to kind of come out and, you know, see what's going to happen, who's going to fight. And then you get this fight with Aljamain Sterling and Corey Sanhagen, and everyone's saying, like, that should be the title yeah. fight right there. Like, that's the people's main event. That That's the fight everyone wants to see. For me, I felt like Aljamain and Corey, like, these are the two best bantamweights in the world outside of Henry Cejudo. So I felt like that fight should have definitely been for the title. 
uh, Peter Jan, he, he, he looked good, but I can't say that from what I've seen in his fights with Faber and with Aldo, I still feel like I need to see more of him. Uh, I don't. I feel like I'm. He's a very vicious fighter. He's very devastating with this, with this stand up and everything. But um, I, I, the book's still out on him, basically for me. While Sterling, I followed him through from his debut, and I've seen him fight so many different styles of fighters. I've seen him fight Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivero. You know, I've seen him fight um, Marlon Moraes. I've seen him fight so many different guys. And I've seen him come out on top so much that I'm more confident in championship level um, in the championship level fight. I'm more confident in Algermain's in Algermain's skills than I am in uh, Peter Yan's because I haven't seen enough out of Peter Yan yet. So uh, for me, uh, I like Algermain Sterling. Um, I think it'll be a. I think it'll be a decision man i don't think it'll be a finish um he, he might get him down and, and it might be a submission but i think peter yan i think he knows that's what his game plan is because aljo's not he hasn't been shy and telling the world like what his game plan is and what his uh, keys to victory are so um i think this is going to be a fun fight i think this this will probably be the fight of the night uh I think uh, we're really going to get to see what Peter Jan's all about, but I think Sterling's going to become and new. I'm going Aljo as well. Uh, I, I just think once again, it's it's about the more diverse arsenal in this matchup, and and I, I do think Peter Jan is a is a terrific fighter, and and I think you, you mentioned the word vicious, and I think that's a great way to describe uh, what Peter Jan does in the octagon. I don't know how good he, his takedown defense is going to be against a guy the caliber of Aljamain Sterling. If he gets on the ground, do like I think we all assume that Aljo's going to completely dominate if it gets there. But I mean, to your point, do we even know? I, I don't even remember a situation where we've seen Yon on the ground, right? Um, you know, Yon, um, I think Sterling is also a guy. Even if it is standing, Sterling's not a guy that's just going to stand in front of you. You know, Pedro Munoz style, for example, and and trade punches with you. So. While I do give Jan an advantage in, in the striking department and think the power advantage is on Jan's side, you have to be able to hit the guy for that to, to be part of the equation. And, and Aljo, again, I think when you just look at his style and it's just so unorthodox and, and it's I, I think it's going to be hard and going to take several rounds for Jan to kind of get into a groove where he kind of feels like he can take some of those big opportunities. Uh, agreed, for sure. And... Aljo's no slouch on the feet either. He doesn't get a lot of knockouts, but he's a very unorthodox striker. He's going to give um, Peter Yan a lot of trouble because he's always moving, uh, and then he's just kind of he, – he'll touch you, and then he'll uh, get yeah. out of the way. Distance throw, management. Combination. Yeah, he's great with his distance management. He's got long arms. Really, and he kicks uh, he knows that really well. Reach. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely kicks very well. And I remember watching him fight uh, Pedro Munoz. And Pedro had just knocked out Cody Garbrandt. A lot of people were high on Pedro Munoz to win that fight. Aljo pretty much shut him down. Yeah. And it was it was a fight that was pretty much uh, a stand-up fight. And Pedro was pursuing him, but Aljo wasn't really there for, for him to be hit. And Aljo kind of just ran away uh, with that fight. And I kind of see this fight being kind of similar, except I definitely feel like Aljo's going to be chasing that um, takedown a lot more. Uh, trying to get a finish. So um, 
Yeah, man. Uh, Aljo Scott just has more ways to win. Um, I, I like uh, his striking. Uh, it, it's solid. His ground game. It's you know we've seen what he, what he can do on the ground. So um, I definitely feel like this title shot itself is long overdue for Aljo. So um, yeah, man. I, I think he's gonna get it done. All right, we go Aljamain Sterling across the board in title fight number one Saturday night. Our co-main event is arguably <laughs> one of the goats of the sport. Not you know, people always want to just kind of like put the women's part in front of that conversation. The greatest women's fighter. I think when you start to evaluate her resume and her dominance, she has to be in the conversation. Take the women's out of it. Just one of the most dominant fighters in the history of the sport. You had a dream about this fight, what, a week ago? Yeah, about a week ago. Yeah. Um, it was it was, a, it was a wild dream. I felt like I was just right in front of in my living room watching the TV, and uh, I'm watching Amanda Nunes and uh, Megan Anderson. They're in the octagon. They're fighting. And, uh, I don't, and, and Megan Anderson just caught her with like a four-piece combo, ended with a head kick, and, uh, and knocked her out. And then I remember jumping off my couch, like, oh, my God, like, Amanda Nunes just lost. Like, what the hell just happened? But then, uh, you know, I woke up, and I'm just like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Like, <laughs> come on, man. Like, are we? Are only we in my like, dreams. Only in my dreams is that going to happen. Um, but, you know, and the more I thought about this fight, though, um, Amanda – Amanda tended to struggle with with girls who are taller than her, like Jermaine Durandamy. Even though she took her down, as long as the fight was standing, Jermaine had a really, really uh, uh, good chance of winning. I remember she even rocked her a few times uh, on the feet with like a flying knee or something like that. Uh, Granted, Amanda kind of punched herself out in the first round trying to get a finish, and I don't think she really recovered, so she just kind of reverted to her wrestling. Uh, But Megan Anderson, she's... uh, while she's not very polished on the ground or anything, uh, as, as long as this fight is standing, I definitely feel like Megan has a puncher's chance to win. But uh, if Amanda just takes this fight to the ground, I don't really see uh, a scenario where Megan really wins this. But um, She's like four yeah, inches man. taller, too. What is the? Do you know the reach differential? I think the reach isn't that big of a difference. I think the reach is only like four inches okay. or three or four inches. But uh, the height difference yeah. is, is definitely substantial because Megan Anderson is six feet tall, uh, and she she needs to learn how to use her her uh, her uh, legs and her arms a lot better than she than she has been in the past. But I think she's starting to get better. Uh, she's working with James Krause, and I feel like over the last few fights, Megan's looked really good. But she struggles against people who wrestle. Uh, Felicia Spencer beat her, and Amanda had her way with the, with Felicia Spencer. Uh, Holly Holm even was taking Megan Anderson down and uh, Amanda Nunes dominated Holly Holm. So uh, if we're going by um, similar matchups, um, Amanda is definitely you know, running away with this one. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see. I feel like it, Megan's got to go out there and fight like she has nothing to lose because she really has nothing to lose. She's a huge underdog against the, the GOAT of women's MMA for sure possibly the, the greatest of all time, regardless of gender. Right. So um, Megan should just go out there and just, you know, if I, if I go out there and I get knocked out, so what? Right. I, was, I, was I wasn't to supposed to win out. anyway, yeah. I was supposed to win anyway. And, and if if not, let me if I land something crazy and, and I get a win, that completely changes their life. So um, 
I think if 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 Megan approaches it like that, we're gonna see a dogfight for sure. Yeah, I, I think this this may be a more entertaining fight than anybody wants to give it credit for. Uh, but I, I mean, when you consider Amanda Nunes as a minus twelve hundred favorite in this matchup, no sign of of her declining in skill. Uh, I, I just I don't know how you pick against her. Absolutely, I don't know how you pick pick against her. But as far as the uh, how big the the betting line is and everything, this isn't going to be Amanda Nunes and Felicia Spencer like. I don't think this is going to be a, a blowout like that. I don't either. I think Megan is is so good on the feet. I'm not going to say so good, but I think she's dangerous on the feet. Um, where Felicia, her only really route to victory uh, was kind of just like taking her down and kind of, you know, tying her out. But, you know, Amanda was too good for that. But Felicia posed no threat on the feet at all. So Amanda was kind of laughing at her when they were standing, you know. Yeah. So, like – Against Megan, that's that's not going to be the case. Like Megan's definitely going to be a threat as long as this fight is standing, and um, we'll see. You know if her grappling's gotten any better, but as long as this fight is standing, uh, this it's going to be very entertaining, and it's going to be interesting to see what Megan's approach is. Yeah, this would be a monster upset. Do you think this would be the biggest one of ever? It's got to be in the conversation. I, I don't know. I mean. Again, Amanda is viewed as one of the greats in the sport. Again, not not just women's, in the sport period. And it's not as though, you know, she's at a stage where we're questioning how much she has left or, you know, it can, does she still have it? Like, she's not at that point. She still looks really good. So, yeah, I mean, plus 650? Yeah, minus 1,200. In a title fight? However, yeah. And... I think if uh, Amanda wins this, especially in convincing fashion, like there's they're just really just throwing girls out there for Amanda to fight yeah. uh, at featherweight. So maybe if Amanda wins this, maybe we don't see a featherweight division anymore. Yeah, agreed. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about that for what the last year plus. Yeah, because they, they made that division for Cyborg, and then Amanda beat Cyborg, and then Cyborg leaves. Right. And now, like, that, like there's really not been anyone else in that division uh, for Amanda to fight. So, you know, maybe she wins this and then just retires as, or retires that belt and then just focuses on the 135-pound division where there's at least some uh, contenders. But, um, yeah, I mean, um, Megan Anderson, she, she should just go out there and just, and just fight this fight like she has nothing to lose. Um, I mean, Amanda's good, but she's human. You know, like as they always say, you know, she she's human. She bleeds. So, I mean, if Megan just go in there with no fear and just fight this fight um, like that, you know, who's to say that she won't get get it done? Yeah, no doubt. All right, our main event is for the light heavyweight championship, the two hundred five division in the UFC. Your defending champion after his win over Dominic Reyes is Jan Blahovich. He is a plus 190 underdog against the middleweight champion, Israel Adesanya, minus 240 in this fight. Dude, I, I, I have struggled so much with this fight. And it's funny because as I'm sitting here struggling, I think universally everybody feels pretty solid on one side of this thing. I don't know how. I really don't because I have no idea where I want to go with this one. Uh, this fight, it's very intriguing because you, we really don't generally see the middleweight champion make that huge jump 
from 185 to 205. Like we, I don't think we've seen that. We've seen Anderson Silva go up and fight uh, 205, but he never fought like the the who's who, like the the champion. He never, he never fought a, a John Jones. Right. Um, I remember he fought Forrest Griffin, but uh, Forrest Griffin wasn't the champion. Um. So you know, Israel. I mean, I, I was kind of curious, you know, how, how is he going to look putting on 20 extra pounds and everything? But now I'm seeing these interviews where he's saying, like, he's only going to weigh what, 195. Yeah, he's going to be fighting Maybe. at 195 on Saturday night. Yeah, he's going to be fighting at 195, which is 10 pounds under the limit. Yeah. So he's basically just going to be a middleweight who's not cutting any weight. Right. And he's going to be at 195. And then Jan... He is a he's a that's a big dude, man. I mean, I remember he's a I, monster. I, I, went, I went I went back and watched him fight Dominic Reyes, and I just saw how big he looked. Like his back was huge, his legs were huge. Like he was just a, a, a an enormous human, and every everything that he threw at Dominic that landed, it left some type of damage on him. Yeah. Like the big. The remember big his ribs? His, yeah. Yeah, the big mark on his ribs, and then that he landed flush on his nose and his nose was on the other side of his face. Like Jan is a, is a, like we talk about vicious, scary power. Jan Blahovic, he's got scary power and it's going to show. So it, I feel like Izzy not wanting to put on uh weight. He wants to maintain that speed advantage and he wants to be as fast as he can, because if Jan's not able to reach him, um, I think he's going to be betting on Jan, um, getting frustrated kind of like Paulo Costa did and uh, Izzy being able to kind of uh, impose his will kind of after uh, Jan gets frustrated. I see uh, Izzy really going after his legs, uh, attacking leg kicks early on. But, um, man, I feel like Jan's going to try to uh, use his use his body, use his size to kind of wear on him a little bit, uh, kind of tire him out. Man... I don't know where I don't know where I want to go as far as the pick, man. I, I kind of want you to go. It's first. tough, man. It's tough, and and it's crazy again because everything I've I've uh, heard over the course of this week about this fight, I, everybody's just leaning toward Izzy like it's not even like a a tough one. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. almost feels eerie to me that that a lot of the people that follow this sport and cover the sport and obviously have a lot more knowledge about it than we do all just feel that comfortable about it when you consider this guy is, this isn't a like 135 to 145 jump, right? Like yeah. when you start talking about getting up in weight that high and the fact that it's a 20 pound differential and the fact that he's probably going to be 10 pounds less than the weigh in while yawn is, is I, I've heard estimated to fight around 220, 225 potentially like Izzy is going to be fast. Izzy is going to do his best to, you know, keep his distance and, and you know, everything that we see Izzy do in, in every time he fights. The difference with the Paulo Costa thing is, though, like, I, I kind of wonder if Jan just says, like, I don't think this guy can hurt me. And I'm just going to, I'm not going to sit and wait like Paulo Costa did and get picked apart before I get frustrated and go. Like, I think he would feel... Like, I'm not going to say he's just going to go straight after him, but I think he would feel that urgency way before Paulo Costa did, again, simply because of the size mismatch where he could just force his way in 
And, and look, if Izzy KOs him, that would be unbelievably impressive, especially considering the weight differential at that point. But yeah, man, I, I'm with you. Every time Jan Blahovich touched Dominic Reyes in that fight, it, it was there was an impact left. And I don't know how Izzy would wear that th- those same strikes. Again, assuming that that Blahovich can hit him from distance. This this to me, it almost feels like it's a fight where both guys keep their distance, and maybe it's like an Izzy Romero kind of like both guys just kind of like feeling feeling the other guy out, and and maybe they never really engage, uh, or maybe it's just really ugly, uh, and and. We don't we don't really get to see them strike, and maybe it's you know Blahovich doing what he should do if he has the opportunity to you know wear on him. Uh, I, I've had a hard time with this one, and here's the other thing. And and I text you this uh, a couple weeks ago in rewatching some fights. Both of these guys are kind of known for how great they are as counter strikers. The thing about counter strikers is you have to have somebody striking first for you to counter. So if they're both waiting to be the counter striker, it just makes you wonder, like, do we end up getting a fight where, you know, both guys are just super cautious, neither guy never really hits that forward button, and it's just a lot of, you know, touches here and there. I I don't know, man. This is, it's such a weird fight to me that I have a hard time really putting my finger on. Okay, so I definitely see where you're coming from. I'm going to go back to both of these, uh, both their previous fights, because... Jan and Dominic Reyes, for the first fight, they were kind of feeling each other out. And it was kind of, they were kind of standing there really feeling each other yeah. out. Um, neither one wanted to go forward. So it was kind of, I'm not going to say it was boring, but you could tell that they were trying to kind of uh, figure, uh, trying to feel each other out. A lot of respect out. for what the other guy was capable of, yeah. Exactly. A lot of, a lot of respect. Like, Jan's Polish power was, you know, it had been seen. And then Dominic Reyes had just had that fight with Jones. So everyone knows, like, both these guys definitely have to be respected. So the first round, they both were giving each other that uh, all due respect. They both were giving each other that respect. The second round starts, and I feel like they started to pick it up a little bit. And I feel like Dom Dom was moving around and everything, but I feel like he, he got a little comfortable, and I think he felt like, okay, I think I can go in, and I think I can kind of see what, what happens. But as soon as he started going in, like Jan just started touching him and it was just devastating. And then he got more comfortable uh, after he felt like he could take some of those body kicks. He got even more comfortable and tried to go inside. And then Jan just started picking him apart with his hands to the, with, to the face yeah. and then got his nose broke. And then, you know, basically ended the fight. On the other hand, with, uh, with Paulo and Izzy, Paulo definitely didn't fight how he normally fights. Like he didn't fight Izzy, like he fought Yoel Romero, like he walked Yoel Romero down right. for three rounds, and nobody ever does that. But with Izzy, he's giving him that respect because he knows, like Izzy's a, a counter striker, and he's just going to be waiting for me to come in. And then Izzy's like, "Okay, I'm not going to go after this guy. I'm going to let this overblown Ricky Martin wannabe come <laughs> come after me." So uh, Izzy's just kind of Izzy's just kind of touching his legs, you know. Yeah. He's kind of kicking him. And then, you know, Paulo had that uh, cupping stuff on his leg. Yeah. So you could tell he, he might have had something coming into the fight. So Izzy's really picking apart his legs. And then eventually Paulo's just like, he's trying to get Izzy to come after him. So he's, he's doing antics like uh, the Yoel Romero hands in his face. And then like Izzy's like, you're acting like Romero. And, <laughs> and then, you know, 
Izzy's not going to get out of his game plan. No. So Paulo just had to Paulo just had to try to you know get just try to take him out. And then after a while, Izzy just kind of you know had his way with them. And after he threw enough leg kicks, Paulo wasn't able to move, and Izzy knew that he can go forward and throw some strikes. But now with both of these guys being guys, Izzy and, and Jan being guys who are counter strikers, I definitely feel like. Izzy knows the recipe to to score while not being aggressive. If right. that makes yeah. sense, he's he's gonna he's gonna chop away at at Jan's legs, and I think eventually Jan's gonna either force a clinch or he's just gonna just try to say, "Yep, yeah, just like you said, this guy can't hurt me, and I'm gonna go forward and I'm just gonna impose my will on him." So that's that's what I think. But yes. I just don't know. Who is going to come out on top in these exchanges? Yeah, I, I'm with you, man. It's it's. Uh, I don't know, man. It's so wild. Like you you mentioned, Dominic Reyes at one point kind of felt comfortable. Like Izzy will never do that in this fight, right? Like yeah. I, I think Izzy is one of the smartest fighters, and not only is he incredibly talented, but I think he's I, I, fight IQ is off the charts. He's he's never going to take a guy like Jan Blahovich on the other side side for granted, especially, like, he knows the size differential as well. He's never going to relax in that octagon to the point that he allows Jan to, to hit him because of that reason. Um, but, yeah, it's like, if he's touching the leg, like, I, the way I envision this fight starting, both guys feeling each other out, and I think Izzy's going to be the quicker guy, and Izzy's going to hit that leg a few times. The question yeah. becomes... At what point does Jan say, fuck this, and just exactly. go versus waiting, you know, 10 minutes, or it wasn't even 10 minutes, but, you know, waiting five minutes into the second round for Paulo Costa before anything ever happened, right? Paulo Costa literally was a statue and allowed Izzy to completely dismantle that leg, and then th at that point, he couldn't even defend himself. I, yeah. I don't believe that Jan would allow his body to get compromised to that point before he decided to do something again, because I think there's such a size differential to me. I, I think the first couple times he starts getting that leg touched, he's either going to start firing back or he's going to walk him down. And, and, you know, again, maybe, maybe you just feel like I might have to eat a shot or two to get close, but I'm willing to make that sacrifice versus letting this guy just pick me apart from the outside. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree. I see, a lot of people say that, you know, Jan doesn't move that much. But I definitely feel like Jan is going to be uh, pressuring Izzy. I, I definitely feel like he's going to be trying to get in his space. I, I think he's going to get just in, a, in enough range where he's not in danger, but where he could uh, fire off and get try to get some shots off. And I think if, uh, if Izzy, while Izzy's throwing these kicks, I definitely feel like Jan might – try to counter with those kicks with a, with a big punch or something like that. So uh, it's definitely going to have to be a scenario where Izzy's going to have to be really careful uh, with his kicks. He's going to have to be really careful everywhere. He can't get his back up against the fence because that's going to be uh, a clear advantage for Jan to just uh, get him up against the fence and kind of just wear on him for a little bit, uh, take some of that explosion out of Izzy. Um, man, I, I'm trying – I'm. I'm 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 over here trying to just make my pick in my head, but I as as much as I keep talking about this fight, I cannot make it make a decision on who I think will win. <laughs> I can't, man. I've it's, uh, it's, it's so tough. I I like I just 
I have the gut feeling that the size is going to just be too much. And it, I, I don't, like, we've never really seen Izzy, like, badly hurt, have we? Well, I mean, he Gastelum? was kind of hurt against Kel. Yeah, he was kind of hurt against kind Gastelum, of, yeah. but, but yeah, it was, I mean, he, he, he got dropped, I guess you could say, but uh, it wasn't where anything where he was in too much danger. Yeah. Um, but with Jan, if he gets touched, like... I, yeah, I feel like it's lights out. I mean, I, again, I I, yeah. I feel like I'm judging Izzy here maybe unfairly because I don't know that he would be lights out. We don't we we haven't seen him get hit in a long time, so I you know it's it's hard to say that for sure he would get KO'd because there's not been proof of of him getting hit. So part of it is an unknown. I, I think it's just like everybody we see yawn connect with. Yeah, the fight o- is over. Um, that said. Like, if Jan doesn't KO him, Izzy will win this by decision. I, I can't imagine a scenario where it goes the distance and Jan Blahovich is ahead on a scorecard. I would feel a lot better about picking this fight. Like, if this fight was Izzy moving up from 185 to, like, 195, like, I'd be like, oh, yeah, Izzy's going to win that. But considering that Izzy's moving up to 205, and on top of that, he's going to be weighing in at 195 while the other guy's going to be 225 on fight night, like the the size difference is the only thing that's really kind of throwing me off. But skill for skill, Izzy definitely has that advantage as far as skills. But Jan has the power and Jan has the size, and that's something that's a, those are really really big factors in a fight like this. Um, and then uh, Jan's had a lot of success fighting against uh, middleweights who have come up: uh, Luke Rockhold, uh, Jacare. Uh, all these, all these guys who have come up to try to, uh, they they feed them to Jan and Jan beats them, but none of those guys are, are Izzy. So, uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pick Izzy, just just to make just to get a pick out there. <laughs> I, I'm not confident in it at all, but I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with Izzy, uh, and I'm gonna go by um, a third a third round knockout. All right, um, then just for the sake of. Uh... All of this, I'll go yawn. Oh, man. We'll make it interesting. Because, uh, I mean, you're on the safe side of this. Again, the whole MMA, I feel like, betting world is on Izzy. In fact, I've heard people say this week that they feel like Izzy at, what is it, plus 250 is is a value. Like, it nah, should man. be bigger, which it blows my mind. I, I, I mean, again, there are... People that are way smarter than me. Uh, so maybe on on uh, maybe maybe the next time we're talking, we're like, why the hell did we even think that was going to be close? <laughs> we're clearly like we were. Everybody told us, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll go on the other side of it because I, I really do feel like this is a great matchup. I think it's a unique situation where, I mean, you have two champions fighting for this belt where there's going to be a massive weight difference. I mean, it's not like. You know, the two guys are going to be even for this match. I mean, one guy's going up, but he's not really going up, if that makes sense. Um, I think one guy, just all-around skills, is certainly more polished than the other. While it's just uh, the dynamic of this whole thing. Uh, here's the other thing that we didn't even mention. They're fighting in the smaller octagon, which, in my mind, would would uh, be advantage yawn. Yes. So, uh, but, but I, I did say this, and I do believe this. I have a hard time 
imagining this fight getting to the end of the fifth round and judges saying that Jan Blachowicz won the fight. Because if Jan, is, if Jan doesn't knock him out, to me that says that they're just trading. And if they're trading, that means Jan's not really hitting him, in my mind. And, you know, because if Jan hits him, I think if Jan's hitting him good, in my mind, it's, it's ending the fight. So if this goes the distance, I absolutely believe it's, it's Izzy staying out of the way, being, you know, fighting what, the way that Izzy fights and, and, you know, chipping away at Jan to the point that, you know, over the course of five rounds, he just, he, he looks like the better fighter. He doesn't get hit as much. You know, the strike percentages are on his side and it just goes that route. Yeah, uh, Izzy does a great job of not getting hit. Uh, he keeps these guys at bay, like uh, Robert Whitaker and uh, Paulo Costa. All these guys, uh, they they definitely try to get inside and try to and try to hit him. Uh, but Izzy does a great job of not getting hit. But uh, you know, Jan is is his height, I, yeah. or at least like an inch shorter. So uh, he's not going to have that size advantage that he's had on a lot of the guys that are middleweight. Um, but I think he's going to do a good job of just keeping his distance and just kind of um, setting traps, uh, not getting uh, not getting uh, trapped in, t- in the in the corner uh, of the cage or anything. Um, he's going to be moving. He's going to be on his bike. He's going to be kicking him, kicking his legs. I feel like Jan uh, could get frustrated, but uh, it's just that dynamic of if Jan touches him, just or just touches him good one time, like. That's the only thing that that kind of you know steers me in the other way, but um, you know maybe that's why the MMA community just thinks it's going to be uh, uh, such an advantage for Izzy because he doesn't get hit and right. he knows how to uh, maintain his distance. It's the May like the Mayweather type scenario where even if he's outgunned, you're just you're not, he's not going to allow himself to be touched. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, his defense is just so good that you know Jan could get frustrated and then you know make a mistake and then Izzy just kind of, you know, takes over from there. But, you know, who's to say that Izzy's not going to be the one that makes a mistake and Jan just capitalizes, you know, and then, uh, you know, I, I feel like you listening to Jan talk about this fight. He's got a good game plan as far as wanting to use his size, use his power, uh, start using his wrestling on with Izzy and everything. Um, but, you know, Izzy hasn't really been taken down much. But, you know, Izzy also said if, if it, this fight does go to the ground, you know, he wants to use his uh, submissions. So I think that's another layer to this fight. Uh, we yeah. haven't really seen Izzy use submissions much. So if he's got that coming out, you know, that's going to be interesting itself. Yeah. No doubt, man. This uh, this is going to be a, a great – like, this will be one that I don't sit down for. I will be standing for the entirety yeah. of this fight. And, uh, you know, if, if I lose the three points, I lose the three points. Uh <laughs> I, you know, like we, we've talked about this, I think from every angle and I don't feel any better about it than I did when we started the conversation. That's, that's what makes this matchup so great. Yeah. I, I mean, I picked, I picked Izzy, but I'm not confident in it at all. Uh, Jan is a, a live dog, as they say, uh, Jan is definitely yeah. capable of winning this. And, uh, by the way, if you had picked Jan, I probably would have went Izzy just, Basically because I, I, I have no idea which way it's going to go. And for the sake of having a rooting interest in this thing, uh, it just makes it maybe a little bit more fun. But, yeah. Yeah, and, and Izzy's one of my favorite fighters. But Mine too, I was yeah. Thinking, and I, I was thinking about picking against him. Like, 
sometimes you know you just have to be you just have to be real and like you know MMA is such a is such a crazy game like anything could happen and with Jan's power like it's 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 that legendary Polish power as they say man if yeah. he if he gets if he touches Izzy it's a wrap man so it'll be interesting to see man I can't wait for it yeah let's have this conversation real quick and we don't have to go super in depth but if Izzy wins this belt. A, I have a hard time imagining him going back to 185. I mean, he's he already has wins over, like, the majority of the top 10, right? Um, I, I yeah. don't know who he would go back to uh, when you consider, I mean, I get, I guess Whitaker, but if Whitaker gets past Paulo Costa, but he already beat Whitaker. He's, I mean, he's he's cleared out that division. Uh, and, and, and the thing is, if he beats Jan... He shows that the you know the the size and the power obviously isn't something that is is uh, too big of an issue. Where do you go from there? Because like I, I was thinking about potential matchups, Glover Teixeira should be the next in line at two hundred five, and I like Glover Teixeira is he? Like that that just <laughs> is the craziest matchup ever. <laughs> Absolutely, that is a crazy matchup, and yeah, I mean. If, if you're Izzy, he says that he kind of wants to go back down. He doesn't want to hold up the division. He's brought up uh, Darren Till. He's brought up, like, Kevin Holland and some of those guys. But uh, I'm sure he's not going to look at the winner of Whitaker and Costa and be like, oh, I'll fight him next. When he's like, man, I really just kind of ran through both of them. Like, I, that really doesn't interest me. Yeah. And then, on the other hand, he's going to be – there's 43 or 42-year-old Glover Teixeira – Who's on a, who's on an amazing winning streak right now? But is that really going to get Izzy going? You know, uh, I mean, if he does end up winning, I'm, you know, who's to say maybe they don't set up? You know, Izzy John Jones. That's the fight to make. That is the fight to make, and uh, but you know, with John going up to heavyweight, I think he's in the driver's seat of being able to pick exactly what he wants next. Because yeah. especially if Izzy wins, I'm sure. John Jones is going to be on Twitter talking. Regard, yeah, regardless, if Izzy if Izzy wins or if Izzy loses, John Jones is going to be on Twitter. Absolutely, talking a whole, talking a whole lot of shit. If Izzy loses, he's going to be like, if you guys thought that this guy was going to beat me, and if Izzy wins, he'll probably say something like, "I guess it's time for Daddy to come back and take it, take back the throne," or something crazy like that. Uh, so, John Jones, you know, I think that's the fight to make uh, if Izzy wins, but. Yeah, I would I mean, hate that for Glover to share, by the way. But oh yeah, yeah. I would, I, I would too. I would definitely hate that for Glover because he definitely deserves a title shot. But I would love to see John Jones his. Izzy. Yeah, I mean, as much as I, as much as Glover deserves it, I mean, he doesn't deserve it over John Jones, a guy who's been reigning that division for eleven years. So uh, it's a tough situation for Glover, but you know, maybe John Jones actually. But wait, let me let me ask you this: If if Francis is the one that beats that wins the heavyweight title, do we really think that John won't look at Izzy and be like, "I kind of like this fight a little bit, a little bit more than than fighting two hundred and sixty five pound Francis and Ghana? What do you think? If Stipe wins, John Jones and Stipe is the fight to make for John Jones. If Francis yes. wins, the fight to make 
that works for the UFC and John Jones and Izzy for that matter is John Jones and Izzy at 205 and Derek Lewis versus Francis part two for the heavyweight belt on the same card. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I would love that. Uh, yeah. Would that be the I, first, I would that be the first time there's a heavyweight title fight that wouldn't be the main event? Probably because there's, because I mean, only, for as much as I would, I, I want to see Derek Lewis, Francis and Ganu, if that was on the same card as John Jones, Izzy, it's not the main event. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. John Jones, Izzy headlines over 99% of fights. I mean, would it main event over Connor could be probably, Ooh, yeah. I mean, probably so. I mean, Connor, that probably wouldn't be on the same card because Connor would want his own card, but yeah. I mean, outside of that fight, I don't th- I don't see any other fight where John Jones and Izzy wouldn't be a main event. So, uh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think you're spot on, man. I think if Stipe wins, it's definitely going to be John Jones and Stipe. But if Francis wins, I feel like John's going to look at that Izzy fight a little bit harder and be like, you know what? I think I want to get my 205-pound belt back. Well, it, ju- it just makes more sense for John to go fight Izzy and then go back to heavyweight versus – go fight heavyweight and then come back down just from a matchup standpoint, right? Like if, if you're talking about legacy, you have more to gain in the heavyweight division by beating Stipe than you do by beating Francis. Absolutely. Right. 100%. Francis has never even been a champion for as much as we all love him. And, and, you know, he's a, a vicious knockout power, you know, big puncher guy like Stipe right now is considered the greatest heavyweight of all time. Like John's all about legacy. So from a yeah. legacy standpoint, I, beating Stipe means way more than beating Francis. And I think going back down and potentially reclaiming the division that you've owned forever against the guy that has been a, a two-division champ and is basically the, the next John Jones, if you will, uh, would, would supersede what he could gain over beating Francis. And, and you can still go to the Francis fight after that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I agree 100%. Um. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what, what John does at the end of this month. I mean, both of these title fights happen in the same month. It, I guess it probably couldn't work out any better for John. Uh, he could definitely just go and see, like, what happens with these two fights and then make a decision, you know, on what his future is after that. Because as much as he says that he's going up to heavyweight, I really don't think that he's 100% committed to heavyweight yet. I know he's put on the weight and everything, but... Uh, I've, se- I've we've seen that before. We've seen him put on weight before, and then, and then just go right back down to two hundred five. So um, I don't think he's completely convinced on what he's going to do yet. But uh, I definitely think that it's going to just going to depend on who comes out victorious in these fights. I, I don't think he has any interest uh, fighting uh, Jan Blahovich, and I and I really don't think that he wants to fight um, Francis Ngannou uh, yet. At least I think he wants to fight either Stipe or or Izzy. Yeah, I, I, Jan, I think, would have to defend the title maybe two or three times, I think, for for John to feel like taking on that fight was worth it from a legacy standpoint, right? Yeah, because, you know, a lot, a lot of these fights that he's been taking at 205, you know, they just haven't really interested him, like Santos and Dominic Reyes, all these guys. While they're great fighters and everything, you know, John's just probably like, eh, you know, there's another title of defense, you know, it's whatever. 
And I'm sure he would feel that same way about uh, Jan Blachowicz. Um, but then, you know, these other guys, you know, heavyweight, he says, scares him. And, it, you know, the guys there, the, yeah. the, the knockout threat, it's, it's a lot greater at heavyweight. So um, a, lot for, a lot for him to think about going up to heavyweight. So, man, it's going to be interesting to see down the stretch, man. I, I can't wait. All right, last thing before we get out of here. Uh, of these five fights that we just picked on the main card for UFC 259, give me the fight that at the end of the night we're all going to say that was the most entertaining fight of the evening. Uh, out of the five main card fights. Yep. Ooh, Okay. It's either going to be okay. I'm I'm thinking it's either going to be Santos Rakich or it's going to be uh, Peter Yan and Aljamain Sterling. I'm kind of going towards Yan and Sterling because it's a title fight. And there's a lot more at stake, but uh, Santos is always a part of fun fights. Like always. Yeah. I'm going to go Yan and uh, and Sterling. Okay. I think I'm going to go uh, Makashev and Dober. Really? Well, look, it's can... it's only a three-round fight, so you don't have to pace yourself. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think Islam wants to show the striking ability. Oof. I don't know if this is the fight to do that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, don't, I think it's going to be a good fight. Absolutely. I think, just from uh, an entertainment standpoint, I think we're just going to have good exchanges and, you know, it's going to be one of those that we're just, we really enjoy watching. Yeah, I mean, of course, Islam has a has an easy path to victory if he really wants it. But if he wants to take some chances, like the fans, you know, will probably want him to take chance and uh, keep it standing. A guy like Drew Dober is definitely going to, he's definitely going to test him. He's going to test his chin. He's going to land. Drew Dober is a really talented striker. So, yeah. Um, man, I, yeah, man. Dude, how many times I have you heard people that. like talk about Islam and say he's basically Habib, but a better striker? I've heard that so much, especially since, uh, Khabib retired. Yeah. Like everyone, everyone's been talking about Islam and, and how much like, okay, Islam's the next guy, like Khabib retired, but yeah. Islam is basically Khabib with just with better striking. And when you think about it, like Khabib is such a dominant grappler. But if this guy has any striking, like who who is going to beat him? Yeah, <laughs> there there is nobody who's even going to come close to beating him. And I I think like I, I'm not, I don't I'm not going to pretend to know the psychology of this guy or anything like that. But I'm just talking about sports psychology in general. I think when people in general like compliment an athlete in a certain way and say they're this. Like I think they want to, they want to be that, right? Like it's it's human nature to some degree. Like if if I were watching you play basketball every day, and then like I started going on on like radio shows and television shows, and I was just like, that Will Brewer man, he's he's the best player on the floor, but like what separates him is I he can shoot it from like half court every other every other time. And like I, I believe he's gonna make it. His just his range is disgusting. Like you'd be like, yeah, that's awesome. And then I think inherently, like somewhere in your mind, you're gonna be playing and you're gonna be like, 
I got this range. Like, yeah, I got and you're going to start pulling it. Yeah, like I, I just think there's something to that, and and I feel like I've heard so many people for the last year, really, when you when when his name is brought up, that it's always just kind of like he's he's Habib light, but a better striker, and I I, I just wonder if in some ways he just wants to show like, hey, I am like Habib, but I want to show that maybe I'm better than him because I I'm I'm a sharper striker and, and maybe that's a point to prove against a great striking 155er like Drew Dober. I don't know. Yeah, and and who's to say that he doesn't pull it off because Drew Dober is going to be looking for that wrestling because uh Islam is such a talented yeah. wrestler. He's going to be a suffocating them. So I'm sure at some point he's going to be looking for he's going to be looking for the takedown and one to defend it. Yep. Which is why I believe that could be was able to show his striking, yeah. Uh, how how improved that he was against like Gaethje and against Dustin Poirier because these guys are waiting for the shot. You're not in striking defense. You're in takedown defense. Yeah. Defense. Like Justin Gaethje, when he's out there fighting Khabib, he wasn't in his normal stance. Like he was more bent down, like prepared to to sprawl and everything. So you know, Khabib knows that he he can go and try to take these guys down whenever he wants. He knows yeah. that. He's going to be able to get a takedown, and I'm sure Islam is probably on that same level. But Khabib was able to start landing strikes because of how worried these guys are about his wrestling. So I think if Islam can capitalize on that, then we'll be able to see uh, how good of a striker that Islam yeah. is. And 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 I'm not saying that he would just abandon the takedowns and the ground and pound and all that. Like I, you know, if he needed to use that, I think he would. But I also, like I said, I, I think that there's just something there when when people compliment you in a way like that that you just kind of want to be like, yeah, I am that guy. So yeah, especially when it's when it's guys like DC and Khabib who are two of the greatest who have ever uh, <laughs> yeah. been in this sport. When you have those guys complimenting you like that, yeah. I'm sure you are kind of feeding into the hype. Like, like you know what, I am that guy. I am a I yeah, am I am a striker. <laughs> Watch this. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go strike with Drew Dober. And you know, again, the takedown will always be there, and and I think he can go to that at any point. But yeah, I I expect I expect that we're gonna see some good exchanges in this fight. I definitely see it, man. I definitely it definitely could happen. And but you know, Drew Dober, I think he's such a He's so relentless that I think if it's standing, he's going to throw some haymakers just to put him out there. Yeah. And, you know, maybe he puts one on Islam's chin and hands him a nail. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. All right, my friend, uh, that is it. Uh, we will uh, obviously be in touch over the weekend. I'm excited for this card. Um, you know, we might we might have to do like a, a early week recording depending on the outcome of this thing because it, it may be too good to, to let marinade for, for – that many days afterward yeah. and, and I may, uh, I may have the need to discuss it, uh, in the aftermath, but, uh, dude, this is, you know, we talked about it. It's, it, I think it's, it's got a chance to be one of the all time great UFC pay-per-view cards. And, and just from a, from a name standpoint, from a matchup standpoint, going into it, uh, if, if you're somebody that is on the fence about this thing, pull the trigger because it's, uh, I mean, this is, this is a, uh, I mean, this is the big leagues. This is a bit, as big as it gets. Absolutely. This is the big leagues. Uh, this is a hardcore fan's dream. I mean, uh, at the beginning of the year, we had Connor fight Dustin, and uh, there was a lot of pay-per-view buys and everything. But, you know, this one, 
for me, this one is the one that gets me going. You know, three title fights, amazing undercard, amazing prelims. Like from top to bottom, this this card is loaded. If uh, if you don't have if you don't know much about the UFC, I definitely feel like this is the fight. This is the fight card to watch. Uh, a lot of very fun fighters, a lot of very fun fights, intriguing matchups. Uh, you'll get to see the highest level of MMA. Um, some some of it may not be the may not be the funnest. May, we might not see a lot of slugfest. There might be a lot of uh, very tactical technical fights, but um, you're going to be seeing the highest level uh, of MMA. And where any any small margin of error will lead to a loss. So um, if you want if you want if you really want to get into the sport, this is definitely the fight card to watch. I'm so excited for it. I can't wait. Uh, and if you want to do a recording on this Sunday nights or Sunday morning, whatever the case is, Monday, it doesn't matter to me. I'm ready. Let's do it, man. I can't wait. Yeah. Uh, look, four current UFC champions on this card. You have a former UFC champion. You have, I mean, how many other guys that have fought for, for title belts? So, um, I mean, from top to bottom, every single fight has, has something I, I think of interest. I, you and I are, are in that group of people that almost every card, you know, we find value in every single fight that's on the card. Uh, I know that's not the case for everybody, but, like, I can safely say in on this card, like, if you don't know much about the UFC, like, you can sit down and there's, there's something to be excited about with every single fight from start to finish, so... Uh, yeah, this is going to be a great one. I- I'm excited for it. Uh, we've uh, we've gone for about two hours at this point, so uh, we will we will get off here. But man, uh, that just shows you like the level of excitement for this card. And again, just there are going to be. I mean, the doors that are going to open up from the outcomes of a bunch of the fights on this card just continue to take us in a bunch of awesome directions as far as the sport overall. So. UFC 259, Saturday night. Uh, There's our picks. It's going to be awesome. Great fights. Will, my friend, always appreciate you, brother. No problem, man. I'll definitely be hitting you up on Saturday. Uh, It's going to be a fun night of fights, man. I can't wait. Will Brewer joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. All right. That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. If you're unfamiliar with any of these products or their benefits, don't hesitate to give Artisan Botanicals a call, 405-458-9699. Also, we're saving you 15% off your online order at abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code COLBYSHOW at checkout for 15% off. Again, abotanicalcompany.com, Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Everybody have a great day, stay safe, and I'll see you tomorrow. Podcast is over.